Let's put our text back on the screen, if we could, guys. <clears throat> what a perfect way to end an awesome song, right? Then for you to look up and see the biblical admonition of how important it is and exclusive that you can only enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Listen to the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. By the way, that's why we're here today. One of the reasons we're here in this auditorium as a community of faith to stir up one another to love and to good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. The great issue that faces every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, is simply this. How can I go to God? Let that sink into your mind and into your heart today. If you're lost... Oh, friend, how important this statement is to you. How can I go to God? And if you're saved today, I hope you already know how you can come to God. And you've resolved that issue. But it is the main issue. It is the great question out of all the great questions that we could ponder about this life, about the life to come, about meaning and purpose of life, about international affairs, about the issues of the day. No question is as important as this one. How can I go to God? The book of Hebrews reveals to us that unforgiven guilt bars the door of access to a holy God. Not just the book of Hebrews, but I think the Bible would expressly teach us that principle. Even the sinless worshipers in Isaiah 6, the cherubim and seraphim, they themselves have to approach God with absolute reverential awe. As a matter of fact, they realize that God is so incredibly holy that they have to cover their eyes, their feet, and with wings they fly to and fro. Why? Because God is so absolutely holy. The dazzling light of His glory it's too much for even a seraphim that is called a burning one to be able to stand to be in the presence of this thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In Hebrew, that's a superlative of emphasis. We normally see repetitive words like holy, holy. We get the idea. But God is so holy that you have to say it three times because we can't comprehend it. It's the emphasis of Superlative in Hebrew. I would submit to you that it is the most important attribute about who our God is. Holy, holy, holy. How then can sinners, all of us, blushing 
with conscious guilt and rebellion to the law of God and His governmental rule over all of us, how can we venture into His presence without atonement into the holy presence of God? And the answer is you can't. You're barred from the holy places because of our sin. Now, if you know you're a sinner and you know that you're guilty, the great question is how can I go to God knowing that He is absolutely holy and I am not? Well, the book of Hebrews gives us a glorious answer to that divine dilemma. I love the book of Hebrews. You're probably glad that I chose to preach out of Acts instead of Hebrews because I've preached through Hebrews before and it took me nearly three years to preach through it. It's just 13 chapters. I'm going to take it easy on you and go to Daniel next, but don't think that's going to be real short either because it's not, especially when we get to chapter 7 through chapter 12. So the message of Hebrews is that we can go to God. Isn't that good news? It is good news to us. It reverberates through every chapter of the book of Hebrews. We have a mediator, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And we can go to God. He has given us his once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. He is the new and living way. So through Christ, we can go to God. I think a little review is at hand to bring you up to where we are. And you need to pay attention to this. It's important to get you to where we are this morning. I'm going to do more of a concept analysis this morning as a final sermon before revival and before I actually preach out of Daniel starting October 6th. I thought this would be really good for us. Why? Because I, I really was hard on you last week, right? Enter through the narrow gate. That gate is restricted. But isn't it wonderful to tell you how you get through the gate today? You can't get through it, but with one way, and that's through the blood of the Lamb. So we see this, chapter 8, just, just a couple of pages back. Please track with me. You need to see the verse with your eyes. You need to follow the text because God works through His Word. That's the only way our God works, is through His Word to effect change. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Uh, I think every preacher ought to love this because the writer says, here's the point of the sermon. Right? Here's the point. We have a, such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Who is this great high priest? Well, it is the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a high priest that is in the heavenly tabernacle who is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the writer will ramp up this terminology by presenting us the new covenant, which is expressly given in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, but is given to us in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of the Israel. And look on down in verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, Check this out. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins. Boy, that's good news. Right? And the writer is ramping up. He's helping us to see the magnitude and the glory of Jesus Christ. We're going after the confidence to enter in by blood. That's what he's building to. Chapter 9, verses 11 through 12, is a nice summary. And so to help you understand, from, from Hebrews 8.1, all the way to Hebrews 10, 18 is one argument. 
And what I'm giving you today, beginning in verse 19, is the application of the truth. And what this once-for-all sacrifice should mean for everybody under the sound of my voice. So chapter 9, 11 through 12 is a great summary. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing our eternal redemption. Wow, that's good stuff. Amazing. Wonderful. So when you sing a song like, the blood of Jesus, it is my victory. You ought to sing it with more passion than you sing anything else in life. It's the blood of Jesus that's your victory. Note verse 24. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are mere copies of true things, which was the Old Testament, right? But into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Not only did he do it with his own precious blood, but he went there on your behalf. He did what he did on the cross of Calvary and then entered into the holy place on our behalf. Verse 24. I read that one, right? Okay. Chapter 10, he brings together the theme of the once-for-all sacrifice through the new covenant where Christ actually remembers our sins no more. So the only way that God could ever say, I will forgive their sins no more, I will forgive your iniquities and remember your sins no more, is because of the perfect atoning sacrifice that has been made by Christ that forever put away your sin. Chapter 10 9 through 10. The Bible says, Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. So this is the incarnation of Christ when he left heaven. The Son of Man came down from heaven and was speaking to his Father. He says, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Now verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The sacrifice has been made. That's the message of Hebrews. All that God required for the forgiveness of your sins and your acceptance into heaven has been accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ once for all and never, ever, ever needs to be repeated. This is the message of the new covenant. It's not due. The message of the new covenant is done. Accomplished once and for all by Jesus Christ. Now, the, the writer of Hebrews will never again in this book develop a new doctrine. Now he's going to preach more doctrine, more theology, as we move through the end of Hebrews. But he's done making an argument. The argument has been made. What he wants to do now is for you to have confidence that that once for all sacrifice has remitted your sins for all eternity. He wants you to have the confidence to have faith and endurance and not waver. Why? Because the promise of God has been accomplished once for all, through Jesus Christ the righteous. So truth must be lived. Doctrine must be practiced. And this section is a call for you to respond in faith and endurance. This is kind of fitting, isn't it? Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now look at 1035. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. It's an inclusio. It's a reminder. It's bracketed in parenthetical reference. It's confidence at the beginning. It's confidence at the end. And he's wanting you to respond with endurance. 
That's his point for doing this. We have confidence in Jesus. Don't throw your confidence away. This is a call to respond to the great truths that are espoused all the way through the book of Hebrews. So he, aver- he argues up to this climactic exhortation. Really, it's the climactic teaching of the book of Hebrews. The once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ that never will be nor needs to be repeated. Now, what he's going to do is based on that ground of truth and confidence of the once for all sacrifice, he's going to give you what's called in the Greek hortatory subjunctives. So it's going to build from that confidence to what I would call, this is not grammatically right in English, let us's, right? I mean, what's the plural of let us? Let us's, right? No, I'm just, I'm just picking on you. But what it is, is the confidence. Uh, it, it is the three things that come out of the ground of the blood of Christ. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. That's all based on redemption. That's all based in your heart being saved by Jesus Christ and the confidence that we have in what he's accomplished for us. So Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 is designed to warm your heart. Last week probably scared you to death. Enter through the narrow way, for only few find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are on it. But here, the writer wants to warm your heart to the strongest encouragement for you to take consolation in God and have confidence. Why? All, it's all because of Jesus. Now again, in verse 26, he's going to move away for a minute from encouragement, and he's going to scare you to death again. Don't read it right now, because it'll scare you to death. Okay? And then in verse 32, he's going to come back to that encouraging word. I don't have time to do all of that in this one sermon. But let's look at the therefore. Verse 19. Therefore, based on everything I've said from Hebrews 8, 1 up to this point. Therefore, brothers. Let's take this apart. Don't lose sight of the fact that he's writing to who? Brother. Amen, sister. He's writing to Christians. Brothers, don't lose sight of that. He is preaching this to brothers in Christ. He calls them brothers. Why? Because we all belong to a community of faith when you're saved. They're joined together as a family through that once-for-all sacrifice of our singular high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that once you become a part of the family of God, you just can't run off and do your own thing. You belong to a community of faith. You're part of a family. You're connected to each other through the blood of Christ and the Spirit of God. And there's a familial bond that is greater than any bond that you could ever imagine on this earth. It's greater than even flesh and blood bonds. The bonds that, we have, been, that have been forged through the Son of God are incredible. He took on blood and flesh himself, did he not? So he himself knows the deeper bonds of what it means to bear flesh and blood than we could ever Imagine, because he took it on. He didn't have flesh and blood to begin with. He dwelt in absolute holy light, unapproachable light, but yet he was willing to take on human flesh and blood. So the New Testament never leads us to believe that the church is actually a building in which we meet. Did y'all know that? Now, I realize that all of us have the understanding that when we say, I'm headed to church, you are going to a specific location where the church meets. 
However, we know theologically that the church reference in the Bible is not to a location or a building. A lot of times we think of the church as simply a schedule of programs. In other words, we think, well, the church is a composition of programs for the older people, programs for the younger people, and everybody in between. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is not the New Testament concept of the church. The concept of the New Testament church is not a concept of responsibility at all. As if I say, well, I must do my church responsibilities. Yet in the 21st century, Christians think, well, uh, I'm really busy, and so church will be one of many of my responsibilities. So I'm going to juggle church along with ball, travel ball, uh, whatever else I juggle in my life. I'm going to juggle those things the same way I juggle all my other responsibilities. Folks, this is not the way the church is presented in the New Testament. It is not presented as a responsibility that I can juggle. The New Testament communicates the idea of church as your very identity. That's who you are. Now, when you think of church that way, boy, that changes everything, doesn't it? The New Testament identifies us as the people of God. That is the church. You're part of a family. Now, if someone looks at my children and they say something like this, Timothy, you're a burden, aren't you? Now, there's no pun intended there, right? They look at Merritt and say, man, you must be a burden. Or Nathan. Or my daughter Elena gets that all the time in Pell City, Alabama. Now, is there a responsibility with that identification? Well, yes, you better believe it. And does it even mean that we keep a schedule? Well, we do. But I want to remind you that to be a burden is fundamentally the issue of identity. As long as you look at the church like a place of responsibility that you fulfill, you will always be dropping the ball for things that keep you busier than the church. You'll do it. As long as you just see church as a responsibility, you're going to let the church take the back seat when other things draw your attention away. But when you begin to understand that the church is a family, and the family is what I am, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ together, then you begin to really realize pastorally the charge that the writer of Hebrews is given. Now, I know what I'm doing right now. I'm preaching verse 25. And I'm not supposed to do that this morning. But he called us brothers for a reason, right? And do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another as much the more you see the day approaching. Give yourself to love, stirring up one another to love and good works. It's hard to do that when we don't come to church. It's hard to do that when we don't really understand your identity as the people of God. So here's a statement you need to always remember. There's no believing in Christ without belonging to a body. In the New Testament, it is absolutely, categorically impossible to be a person of Christ and identified as the church and not belong to a local body. I don't care what kind of statement you give, how many articles you write, you can't argue with the Bible. And the Bible makes it clear what it means to belong to Christ. So I want to think that what we hear, what we do here in this building, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, when we corporately meet together, that we are ultimately living out what it means to belong to Jesus. 
We're stirring up one another to love and to good works. We're not here just fulfilling our own personal vendettas. We're not here just randomly singing a song or randomly preaching a sermon. We're the body of Christ. And we're identified as the body of Christ. And we come together. All right, let's move on. Brothers, check this out. The Bible says, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places, because we have access, is the word. You have access to enter the holy place. Look, check it out. Because you're brothers and sisters, and you're in Christ, you have access to enter the holy places. What it means in the original is you have you currently possess this access. Y'all see the verb? Since we have. It is currently your possession. It's the ground of our confidence. The possession we have is the person of Christ, which gives us this access. This access. Now, what about this word confidence? Well, the writer is very fond of it. It is found in 3.6, 4.16, and twice in chapter 10. The particular word is charged. It's a loaded word, and it has two facets to it. On the one hand, confidence means authorization of secured access. Note that. The access you have is secured. It's access that you have and you'll never lose. That's the terminology. That's what confidence is. You have right of entry. We are authorized to get in. Hallelujah. That's good preaching. Right? It is. You have access to get in. You have authorization. But it's more than just the sense of the objective authorization that, hey, I'm in. It also has the subjective sense of the boldness and confidence that we ought to have when we enter in. So the implication is we have courage and boldness and even the implication of joyful confidence. Did y'all know that those two things need to go together? Think about that for a moment. You need authorization to get in there, but you also need to feel comfortable when you get in there. Right? And that's what the dual meaning of confidence has. You can have authorization, but you can be fearful. God is wanting to give you a holy kiss today. To let you know that if you're saved, not only do you have access, but you ought to come in there comfortably. With joy in your heart before God. You can have authorization and yet be fearful. You can have right of access, but you can be reluctant in coming to the Lord. In Christ, you not only have authorization to be there, but you have confidence because you actually belong there. What an awesome word. What place is he speaking of? The Bible says the holy place are places. And he's laboring to tell you that you got right of entry into the holy place. And you do so with joyful obedience and confidence. It's access to the very presence of God. That's good news, right? Chapter 6, verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters in the inner place behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The reason you can go in, period, is because Jesus is already there. And you've put your confidence and faith and trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sins and be your righteous God. And secondly, He's seated there. 
So where he is, that's where you are and where you're going. Right? That's the confidence that we have. Brothers, you have full access to God. You have access to go to Him in prayer. Hebrews says you have access to go to Him for more grace. Anybody can take a good dose of that? I need it every single day. You have access to go to Him for help. You come to Him and cry to Him in time of need. You can go to Him for mercy. Don't we need that? And forgiveness. And how about this one? Worship. And the moment you close your eyes in death, you will be forever in His presence. Wow. Mr. Leroy Morris said, could breathe his laugh at any moment. I'm praying the Lord will take him on the Lord's day. He's been five days pretty much unconscious, just breathing. It's because he's got a strong heart. Cancer just riddled his body. But I'm telling you, folks, when he dies, he's going to be forever in the presence of the Lord because of the promise that you can enter in through blood. Think of that. Now, if you're remembering the writer's audience, think about how this affected them. Who was he writing to? He was writing to Jews who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the only thing they had ever known was a sacrificial system that involved one high priest once a year who himself was a sinner that had to atone for his own sin before he stepped in. If not, he died. And this had to be repeated. And those high priests died year after year after year after year and had to be replaced. Right? That's the only thing they had ever known. So this principle of a once-for-all high priest entering in by his own blood and making final atonement was revolutionary to them. What was even more audacious is that you could go in there with confidence and with boldness. That was absolutely audacious to think that a human being could walk into the very presence of God on his own. That's, that's all they had ever known. And even that authorization itself was restricted. One time a year, bearing the blood just like I'm telling you to do it. And if you don't do it, do y'all ever think that a high priest went in there with confidence? I'm telling you, there's no way, knowing myself as a sinner, that I would ever walk in to this holy place with joyful confidence. Not the way the system was before. No high priest ever walked in there with joyful confidence. They pled the mercy of God that he would accept that blood sacrifice. And they knew if he didn't, they died and the people died. The day of Yom Kippur. But think about this. Here is a reality for you. What did they know? You don't mess with the holy God. Boy, we've lost that feeling in the United States, haven't we? We have. You don't mess with the holy God. But here's what you have. Here's the reality. You have right of access. Anytime. Any day. And you can come joyfully, with confidence... And with boldness before the Lord all the time. All because of Jesus. And this is what we possess in Christ. That's, the, that's why God right now is receiving our worship to Him through the preaching of the Word and the singing of songs. I want to tell you something. You don't have access to God at all. And you can't worship Him if you're lost. There's no access apart from blood. And it has to be the precious blood of Jesus. The sacrifice. Now, again, we're not talking about actually the blood that Jesus shed right there on the cross that actually spilled down. You've got to keep it in a bowl in order for that to happen. It magnifies the sacrifice. We're not talking about Catholicism. 
We're not talking about a bloodless mass. We're talking about who it was that sacrificed his blood. Y'all get that, don't you? That's the only way that you can ever go in. You're alienated from God without the Son of God and his sacrifice. So even when we sin, we don't need to cower in unbelief or doubt or fear. Isn't it hard for us? Isn't it hard to go joyfully into prayer when you know full well your life during the day has looked terrible? When you sinned against God categorically all day long. Anybody bear that resemblance? I'm looking at you, I know. Right? Isn't it? The, the first thing we do is we say, oh God, I can't pray. I can't do anything. I want to tell you folks, the Bible says He will remember your sins no more. Folks, I know this blows your mind, but that's past, present, and even future sins. All of your sins were in the future when Jesus died on Calvary. Wake up! Right? And look. That's the detriment of believing that you have to go through a man of a priest to get to God. Wake up! You can't get access to God through any other way than the blood of Jesus. And that's happened once and for all. Never needs to be repeated. And the access is forever. And it's based upon the righteousness of Jesus. He paid the debt you couldn't pay. He forgave the debt you could not be forgiven of. He wiped away your sin. And praise God, the Bible says He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. And how long will it be remembered? No more. Do you understand that you can't go to God unless He remembers your sins no more? It's impossible to go before a holy God unless He chooses to remember your sins no more. And He cannot do that apart from Jesus. So it is the blood of Jesus that is my pardon. It is the blood of Jesus that speaks for our pardon. Always. And every day. Let me tell you, when we go on foreign mission trips, we have a right of entry into another country by one means. And that's called a passport. I'm going to tell you, there's only one passport into glory. And it's the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You want to see the passport into glory? Look at the cross. You should have been crucified. You should have paid the penalty for your sin. But the glory of the gospel is that the righteous Son of God came down from heaven and never one time sinned. And He took that perfect body to the tree of Calvary and died in your place having obeyed the law of God absolutely perfectly. You couldn't obey the law. He did. He's the Son of God. So your right of access is rooted in the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You are acceptable to God. There's no longer a barrier between you and the Father. You have things right now that haunt you day and night. And if you're lost, I'm sure the Lord magnifies these at times. But you've got sins that haunt you. And even believers. And here's the blessing. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, all your sins can be cleansed. All your sins can be forgiven. All your sins, no matter what they are. Period. It's the cleansing and forgiveness that gives you right of access. And notice the text. The blood of Jesus also cleanses our conscience. Gives us confidence. Since God remembers my sins no more, does that give you an excuse to sin? God forbid. Romans chapter 6 verse 1. God forbid. 
What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be, Paul says. If you do that, then you don't know the Lord. If you think you can just live like you want to live, oh, Jesus is going to forgive me. I'm, my sins are forgiven past, present, and future. You haven't read your Bible. If you've got that attitude that you can continue in sin, as a matter of fact, verse 26, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but the expectation of fearful judgment. You better think, Hebrews will blow your stack. It'll challenge you to the root. And what that basically means is that true believers persevere and true believers understand that they confess their sins before God even though God has forgiven them because you know how precious fellowship with God is. And sin blocks fellowship with our Father. So the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Got good news for you. It's eternal redemption. Remember when I read that? And you know, Baptists get thrown under the bus sometimes. You guys believe in once saved, always saved. Is there anything short of eternal redemption than eternal redemption? Who was it accomplished by? Now just think about this for a moment. Use your mind. In order for you to lose your salvation, the Son of God has to stop praying for you, and He also has to stop being your once-for-all sacrifice. Is that possible? I've got news for you, folks. A fate that fizzles at the finish was faulty at the first. If you don't make it to the end, you didn't know Jesus to begin with. Period. He's the once-for-all sacrifice for our sin. And we have joyful confidence. We have right of access. All the sins were poured out on the Son of God by the Father on your behalf. And it turned the Father's wrath away. And Romans 8.1 says this, For there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No more guilt. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. No more condemnation. Absolute confidence as a member of the new covenant. Sins are forgiven. He remembers them no more. For Christ's sake, he has caused my sins to be removed as far as the east is from the west. Not because something good in me or you, but because of Christ. So how in the world can we go to God? Here's, here's simple gospel math. Have I given you this equation? Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. That's the only right of it admittance, period. Jesus Christ plus nothing equals absolutely everything. We know our guilt bars us from access to God. How can we go to a God that is holy? So holy that even sinless angels cover their faces and their feet as they incessantly cry, holy, holy, holy. How can we go to Him knowing that we've broken His law? Here's how the blood of Jesus speaks full and complete pardon. For all who come to him by faith. Notice that. To all who come to him by faith. His grace is greater than any of our sins. The Bible says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. He, his blood, as the old hymn says, can make the foulest clean. I'm in that number. I'll go ahead and admit it. His blood availed for me. His blood availed for you. His blood cries out for our vindication and our forgiveness. If you belong to God, you belong to Him forever because of Jesus. You do. If you're lost, actually, you can't go to God at all. Romans chapter 1, listen to this. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's what mankind does. They try to make God into their own image. And when they read the scripture and they understand God is absolutely holy and there's no other way of entry other than through the blood of Christ, the world says, hey, let's just make another way. So they began to create idols and do certain things like that. But here's what the Bible says. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their own hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forevermore. What that teaches us is, it is there is an absolute block and barrier between God and man. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But aren't you thankful for Romans 3? Where it talks about the fact that the righteousness of God is revealed by Jesus Christ from faith to faith. But I want you to know today that we can't make God into some warm, fuzzy Santa Claus. You don't make him into a creature. Uh, that kind of God does not exist. The God that exists cannot be made out of your own imagination. Our God is awesome in holiness. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. Banking all of your hope upon His blood, His death, and His righteousness. And when you say to Him, Father, I have no right to come, but Your Son died for sinners like me, and I come banking all of my hope in Jesus Christ and His righteousness. I cling only to the cross of Christ and what He did for me on Calvary. And I accept Your Son as my Lord and Savior. Amen? That's the only way. Do you know that as a believer, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And my prayer is that God has put his kiss on your faith today. That if you're saved, you walk out of here with confidence by blood to enter in. Confidence only in Jesus Christ. Now, the flip side of that is, if you hadn't trusted Jesus only for salvation and what he did on Calvary, then you're lost. And back to last week's sermon, you're on your way to destruction. You're on the broad way. What restricts the gate? Well, it's the fact that you can't be saved any other way than Jesus. That's the restricted gate. That's why it's narrow. You have to trust Christ only. There's no entrance apart from being saved by grace through the once-for-all sacrifice for sin that never need to be repeated. So do you know the Lord this morning? Do you have confidence by blood to enter in, which is the only way to do it? Do you have confidence? Let's pray together. Great God, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the confidence that we have. Even stammering sinners like us, the debt has been paid. And even in the midst of our sinfulness, we have access because of Jesus. God, what an incredible principle to think about. But it's all because of Jesus. It's always been all because of Jesus. That you paid it all. And we owe it all to you. And we thank you for the access that we enjoy. Father, for the individual who is barred from entrance. God, would you open the door of understanding today? Would you convict their heart and mind of their sin before you? Lord, the, the guilt and the sin that haunts them. Would you let them know that if they turn to you, if they cry out to the Father and say, Lord, I don't deserve it, but I put every bit of my faith and trust in Jesus 
and that once for all sacrifice on my behalf, entering in on my behalf with his own blood to procure my salvation. I put all my, I bank all my hope on Jesus. It's almost as if we're saying, and we are, Jesus, if you don't take us to heaven, we're going to be damned. You have to take us there. We put our faith and confidence in you because we know we're sinners. Father, would you save a soul this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.